Welcome to the Drop-In CEO Podcast. I'm Deb Cobiello, and as the Drop-In CEO, I drop into businesses and assume the CEO role to mitigate crises and help teams get back on track. This podcast is about helping the C-suite leader to navigate challenges with confidence. For today's leader, I'm here to help you get back on track. Tomorrow's leader, let me partner with you to learn the secrets of the C-suite. Wherever you're at in your career, this is the podcast for you. Hello, I am Deb Coviello, founder of the Drop-In CEO Podcast, and I am grateful you've joined us for another episode where I get to speak to amazing leaders and share their insights and inspiration with you. And if you love this episode, and I know you will, please, please share with others, subscribe, rate, and review so we can continue to bring you great programming. And just know I, Deb Coviello, am the C-Suite Leader Guide to help you navigate challenges with confidence. And today I am honored to bring on the show my amazing guest, Steve Looney, who is the managing director of Peel Davies, an independent advisory firm that provides strategic and financial advice on acquisitions, private capital solutions, restructuring, and growth initiatives, and also invests with financial partners in establishing growing enterprises. He is an experienced metrics-driven manager and director, is a CPA and an attorney, a graduate of the University of Washington with degrees in accounting and law, worked with the United States Security and Exchange Committee, Becker Warburg, Paribus Becker, PCCI Inc., and WH Industries. Wow, that is an awful lot. I am excited for this interview. Steve, welcome to the show. Thanks, Deb, so much. I'll try on insights and inspiration, but that's kind of a high bar. But let's let's just chat. This should be fun. Hey, but this is the power of the network. And a quick shout out to Wayne Howard, who introduced us, who did speak highly of you. I speak highly of you <laughs> because of our earlier discovery calls. You're full of so much insight and areas where you can help C-suite leaders of today position their businesses to be attractive, to be worthy of others to invest in. But before we get into that, I would love for you to share a bit about yourself personally and the journey that brought you to the work that you're doing now. Well, I'm kind of a, a guy who came from the West Coast, up in the Pacific Northwest, and always wanted to be in the New York environment and in Wall Street and all of that. I kind of got that done, went to the SEC with a law degree and an accounting degree, and then got involved with an investment bank in uh, Chicago and worked there as an inside lawyer and over the years moved out to New York, became the general counsel there, still the staff sort of position, and then... When that company was sold into a larger financial services company, Merrill Lynch, there wasn't a spot for me, being the general counsel. So I, I moved into investment banking and did that for a bunch of years with uh, Nomura when the Japanese were buying America, and then they had to sell it back. And then uh, got out into industry and worked, really kind of learned accounting and how companies work really there. I had that CPA before but didn't really have the feeling for what makes companies tick. And so I had a lot of fun doing that, borrowed a lot of money. We did pay it all back and then sold out to a competitor actually on a down tick, which was quite a, quite a fun thing. And then got involved in a lot of negotiations and those sorts of things uh, with them. It started getting on some boards and uh, have probably been on 15 boards over the years, large public companies, small hedge fund driven companies, public and private. 
continued to do a bit of uh, M&A work for companies, mostly buying these days, but have helped in selling and some conflict management in privately held companies and lots of general things. And around there, I've picked up a few nuggets, some of which I might remember, and I'm happy to share those to the extent that I can. You know, you said something, I'll just kind of go into one of the things that you went financially into the books to understand like what made companies tick. Again, you can get a CPA certification, your accounting background, but it's sometimes it's really, really practical because I have found that I have been at a loss when I didn't understand the books and I actually took <laughs> accounting for dummies to really understand how to read the profit and loss. And while it may not be everybody's cup of tea, understanding the numbers can give you insight and in being able to provide advice, increase your expertise or your influence, because just saying the sky is falling or we need to invest money and buy something without that financial acumen can be a missing essential skill for leaders that are trying to get into the C-suite. Yeah, I think that's true. And I think there are people that are, are in the C-suite who get so far above it that they have a very hard time understanding how their cash moves in their company. Uh, and I think that's essential to understanding any business, manufacturing or otherwise. So I'm going to switch this up a little bit to understand where you've settled down. It looks like with your company right now, you focus on you know domestic, international, middle market, emerging growth companies, et cetera. Why did you start focusing in on that area? I'm just curious. And again, this is you and me talking to understand where does Steve play and have the greatest impact? Well, so truth be told, you kind of when you have, write these things, you kind of throw out all these types of things that you have done. Uh, and every now and then, somebody gets fooled and hires you. That's okay. <laughs> That's okay. Because here's the thing. It's forward thinking. You may not have done everything. And this is a lesson to the people listening right now. But if you have the skills to be able to go in, look at their books, be able to talk to people. Again, sometimes people don't know how to talk and just get a feel for what's missing. What are the opportunities? It's not that fake it till you make it, but you have these skills to be able to jump into many situations and be able to provide value and advice. Yeah, I think I said that a bit with tongue in cheek, but it's I have experience in all of the areas I have described. <laughs> but it's how deep it is and how helpful it is to particular folks. I mean, there are people who have been in China with businesses, you know, for decades in their companies. I've been over there poking around. I had been for about eight or nine years, you know, a bunch of trips. You know, did forensic accounting or had people do forensic accounting work on companies there, experience and all of that. It's enough to be dangerous or helpful. A lot of, I think, what you accumulate over the years and you get in your top level execs is that I have a little bit of it. You have experience in different areas. You know where you need to know something more. And more importantly, you have a network of people. You know where to go to help. So you can diagnose a problem and you can identify possible solutions, and more importantly, who can help you do that? And I never realized the value of the network until I left my corporate role and I had to jump in <laughs> into my current position and realize I didn't have a huge network. And I am finding, and I am so grateful for this podcast, I am meeting more and more people. I have a client that I'm working with right now. We're doing back office operations. I'm their chief operations officer. But then I started feeling a little uncomfortable in the area of HR policies. I knew a little bit to say, hmm, I think there's something there reached out to my network, got some advice on areas of risk and opportunity. The CEO is grateful and we're going to potentially move forward. So 
nourish that network. It's so invaluable. Again, you may not know everything, but you got somebody that can diagnose or at least be able to treat the symptoms. I didn't nearly answer your last question on the focus. Um, I, I try to lead with a joke generally, but uh, <laughs> that's you and I yeah. getting to know each other. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, and hopefully, we're not we're not not uh, too tough on the people listening. But uh, I focused a little bit more on companies with sizes up to say fifty, a hundred million dollars, and kind of like in problems. I t- I tend to see I can understand the playing field a little bit more there uh, at the larger levels, and also maybe help affect some change. Maybe a division is better for me than a $5 billion company. You know, those, those kinds of things. That's uh, kind of the reason I move in there. So what's an example of, you know, a company or entities that you helped? I know one of the things we talked about early on is sometimes you have to prepare a company to be sold, merged, or what have you, for which there's going to be some significant transactions or change of leadership. But you have to kind of dress it up a little bit, make it look good, set it up such that it appears and is successful. What are some of the things that you advise needs to be done or you do with companies? Well, it, one example would be a, a company. I was brought in by a, um, a long-term business associate to a uh, company with a lot of internal strife occasioned by a death. Leader died. The shares were inherited uh, by his wonderful wife who didn't have a lot of business experience. And she was kind of being run over by the management you know, in the company. And first, just as a courtesy advice to my friend who was become a key advisor, you know, I started giving him advice and people to help to kind of restructure their governance and and to start looking at uh, ways that they could improve. It was pretty clear that they needed to make a change in management and she had the power to do it. And then kind of looking at that and and, and kind of going after. So that happened and new management was brought in, not recruited, but brought in internally, which wasn't in this situation ideal. And then there there was working with an independent board that was appointed in part through my efforts, you know, to kind of help tutor and bring the sales-oriented CEO into a, a rounded type CEO. And as he was doing that, you know, to make the comp to dress the company up for what would probably be, in my estimation, a sale, we started to you know make some changes in the way they were reporting and in the types of businesses they were dealing with where their growth was, which was about a three-year process. To make the company look better from the outside, it was in the financial services area. It's still private, but it was sold. I can't speak to names and all that sort of thing. But it, a lot of it was, you know, was with a group being kind of a team on a team basis, you know, trying to help the company focus on where they were making money and not making money, and where they could, you know, push the levers to increase, and to focus in on on business lines and high quality people around them. So we helped him change the financial management, helped him, helped him change his marketing teams, all those kinds of things. And generally with uh, good results. And hopefully the new owner who paid a really nice money for that appreciates that. And certainly the shareholders did. So one of the things I'm thinking about, and while it is an unfortunate story, an acute situation that forced a significant change, while it was good that you were there to advise as well as others to make it to a place where you could sell it and set up the systems for success. But you also talked about it got a little chaotic, that you had to bring in new leadership. Yes, in an acute situation, we have to respond. But if 
you were to advise companies <laughs> on the risk of loss of leadership, significant changes, what would you have advised such a company to have done proactively versus having to be in a reactive position, restructuring, restructuring the finances, et cetera? Because that was an expensive process to go through for which it got a good result. But let's, how can we be more proactive in setting up our business for success? Yeah, I mean, that's the classic problem. You know, this was not a small business. I think it's EBITDA was over... $18 million, you know, so, so very good profits, but it was a dynamic leader. It's smart health, but there wasn't a clear number two. You could advise a company to do that, but that is a high order issue in small businesses and how you find that right person and bring them up, how you deal with the other people in your company, particularly one that had, this had a family involved in different areas. It's extremely difficult. And, uh, I think you have to have done it and know someone to really make it happen. And so um, I, I think it's there ends up being a bit of just luck in there. Anytime boards are looking for successors or, or owners are looking for successors, uh, it's, it's very, very tricky. And it's a, I think you, what you see is you know, a lot of interviews, you know, a lot of work. But hopefully, if you just are faced with that and say, I know I have to have a number two, the team knows there has to be a number two. The bigger the outside, you do it. Or if you're grooming someone, you start making it clear that what you're doing is fair. It's good for the enterprise. It's good for the shareholders. It's good for everyone. And get everybody on board on that so they know about it, If you're, you know, however you're doing it. So let me get some clarity around this because this is so relevant around the types of businesses that I work with. I believe slightly smaller than your target client, but I may work with a business that's 15 years old, CEO of a company, and is viable, but it's so flat and so small for which there almost can't be a number two because there's the brains <laughs> and the brawn and then there's the execution. Another type of business I've worked with, maybe about 100 people, second generation owner, and again, still a lot of knowledge people, but nobody that has the leadership skills. They can do the work, but still the leadership comes from up above. How do you do that? Or what are some other things they could at least start doing knowing they're still small and maybe not very deep at all? What can they do to start getting or acquiring or prospecting such talent? Yeah, I mean, within your company, you've, you've obviously got a, a chief operating person in some way. You're number two. When you're you're out and away, you count on them. And, and you've got a financial person, maybe a couple of other people. They're kind of your key leadership and I would say you look at everyone on that leadership team and you say, what would that person need to do what I do for this company? How do I fill that in? You know, and you start and you appreciate it. You say, you don't say it this way, but you say, I think this person needs to be working outside the company a little more. So maybe you encourage them. You say, why don't you join this? Why don't you do this? Why don't you start meeting some people? It's important to our company, important to you. Build their skills by being a CEO mentor, you know, fill in the blanks. Or maybe some people are a little bit too rough around the edges and maybe they need a coach, you know, that says, you know, positive, like a, an outsider that works on their interpersonal skills, not because there are complaints, but because you know that they could be better, you know, or just communication skills, whatever's needed, you fill things in. And, and so you try to build up and then and you start assessing and you start saying that person is moving along or not. But I try definitely try internally. 
And don't be afraid to hire someone and pay them a little too much, you know, because they're a second level player, but they're going to be very good down the road. Just think in the future a little bit. Think those extra two weeks of vacation you could be taking if you felt more comfortable that your team was more solid behind you. I mean, sometimes because we're small, we're still thinking small. We may be thinking, hey, I want to increase my sales. Hey, I want to exit. But we still have a short-term mindset when it comes to investing of dollars. It could be a tremendous cost savings knowing a number two has got you when you do leave, can make those strategic decisions and give you ultimately peace of mind, which is so much more valuable than just the dollars and cents. I am interrupting this episode to offer an absolutely free networking and educational opportunity I have created and I want you to be there. If you're a mid-level manager that loves your team and has a desire to accelerate your leadership growth, it is possible for you to become that executive leader in the next 24 months. Regardless of your area of specialty, and I know so many of you are talented, you have what it takes to be on the front line collaborate with others, and get the job done. However, let me show you how to leverage that specialized knowledge to create solid connections with other leaders while shifting your focus from day-to-day leadership skills to long-term CEO strategy. Head over to my website, dropinceo.com, and click on the Drop-In CEO Collective to register for your next meeting. Now, back to the conversation. So I want to switch direction because you're also very talented in the area of leadership coaching. And I'm just curious about, because I want to learn from you, is what are some of the trends you are seeing when it comes to working with some of these leaders in the company that even if they are at that level, the CEO, top level, et cetera, skills that you still need to coach? Because I want people to listen in. If you haven't gotten there yet, start honing these skills. But also it's helpful for me as I partner with C-suite leaders. What are some of the things you still need to coach them on? I think it's like everything. I think it's having somebody with an outside look. I think it was Wayne and I went to a Harvard Club presentation by, I can't remember the names of the folks at uh, Google and otherwise who wrote that great book about the, the coaching sort of an area. And this fellow who helped Apple and helped and helped Google as well, who had great outside skills. And I, I see that in, in uh, particularly human resources type people that have had that. And, and I think it's, um, it's a special type of way to be able to say to someone, hey, you're great, but there is there's some ways you could be greater. Let's find those things out. And having people not afraid, not to be defensive, to open up to someone who's not right in the center of things that they can trust and say, you know, agree or, or also identify for themselves area think they can be better. It gets lonelier the higher up you get in an enterprise. And the loneliest position is the CEO position. It can lead to, at least in my experience, a lot of unclear thinking about the people that are down below you and how others are, are looking at you because a lot of CEOs is hard to listen. They want to do, they want to, they want to be effective and they don't really want to work with the team. They just want the team to do something for them and they don't understand how, how to motivate and can happen. And that can lead to a lot of dysfunction. And a coach, a coach can help that. And as the enterprises get bigger, you have people that have that very similar responsibility down the way. And you want them to be doing things independently that are effective with those organizations and they need help. And so it kind of works all the way around. But there's got to be a sense of fairness and a sense of trust. 
you know, when I think about what you say, and I have seen leaders that have acted in a way where their messages are clear from the top all the way down. When you can go to the frontline worker and you hear words used by the CEO of the company, you know at some point that leader has had an interaction with that frontline person. So they they understand what is meaningful. I've also worked with somebody who just was exactly the way you described. They just wanted to work with their direct leaders and help them execute while they kept their eye on the strategy. And it was like, it was such a missed opportunity to be able to say, you need to have influence all the way down. It's about messaging. It's about caring. It's about getting peace of mind versus just the bottom line or getting top line results. What I find when leaders just focus on numbers and not what they're doing and the impact they're supposed to be making, um, they get off track. And that's when they need somebody like you. And we may be segueing into something slightly different, but uh, we're going to talk, cover as well the board side. But you know, when things aren't going going well. The CEO who is you know got the bunker mentality on, or the uh, let's use the P word, the paranoia type word, will tend to start blaming people. All right, you know, so usually it's the CFO. You know, <laughs> the CFO's got a very tough thing. You know, that that other places like that, and they'll. They'll pretend like they're not the person who hired them. You know, that person somehow got there, and now that person's a problem. And it needs to be turned on them. They realize that the biggest decisions are hiring and promoting people on that team. So one kind of interesting way to go at it is you start putting responsibility on the on the team from the top level. And you can do this as CEO down. You can say, you know, tell me who your your best players are. Give me a give me a rating. You don't have to make it that formal. But who is really good and why are they good? You know, you get these these surveys and these whole systems and not to, you know, disparage them, but but really taking responsibility, you know, for five, eight people that you've got there. And those are people, they're keepers. They're little, if we're going to cut back, those are the people I've got to have. And then when, when those people leave, you start saying, then it's what happened. And then it's when they left, have you figured out, can you really tell me why they left? What was their thinking in leaving? You know, it's always, oh, it was a bigger thing, or they were terrible, and I had to let them go. But what really happened? Because that that decision is a decision that's an important one when you're hired and when you're fired. And how did it work against the way you were scoring them right until it happened? You know, and did you, and are you sharing with you, your report up, CEO to the board, you know, below the CEO? units up. Did I know that there were things going wrong? How were you working on it? What were you doing? All of that. Because those changes have ripple effects way across you know, the, the new hire, the fire, across the organization. What happened there? And, and, and how are you rating people and who are you nurturing? Yeah, so what I'm seeing here is that it's almost like the leadership blind spot. Certainly, we bring in coaches, mentors, advisors for when they are having problems. And to your point, they sometimes start blaming versus looking at themselves. I guess over time, might lack that self-awareness of what is their impact on the changes in the organization and take that personal accountability. I would always almost think even C-suite leaders, CEOs need an advisor even when things are going well because they still might not see the blind spot or if they're doing something well, how can they perpetuate that behavior, extend their impact, maybe even a board position or something like that? Definitely necessary. I'm so grateful that you do that work. But I want to just switch it up here a little bit because that's only part of who you are. You are also on several boards for which you're very passionate. How did you get involved in some of this board work? And tell us a little bit more about it. 
so so I got involved through a network that went back to uh, actually to the investment banking days. People had gone on and done things, and and uh, I love helping people out, you know, where I can. An introduction, those sorts of things. And over time, I, I said, yeah, I'd like to get on, I'd like to get on a board and kind of out of the blue, an investment banker that I had worked with and. We mutually helped each other, had an opportunity with a large healthcare company, a nursing home company, public, uh, based out in California. I was in New York. And he said, you know, we need someone that has a little bit of background in technology. I was working as a CFO of an IT services firm. I knew Microsoft Word and how to use Excel, but <laughs> but at least I was in the sector. Check the box. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and had talked about AI going way back, but but yeah. Not that totally, but it was it was through that relationship, and then I, I met the CEO. We got along in the C in, in CFO, and and I got on that board. And it was a little bit of a, you know, a, a, once you're on a board of a certain size, then you have a little bit of chops. And so other things came from that, and also from other things that I had done, mostly through investment over the years through investment professionals that have had situations where. They need a little bit more hands-on, or they need somebody that will help shake things up a little bit. See, the company is complacent, and the situation is needs a little bit more drilled down, sort of thing. And that's kind of been my mo in companies: is try to really, really understand the company down to that key performance indicator of those three or four that really make it tick. So that is then the reason why you're so important to me: the drop-in CEO. It's that ability to have that strategic view, but be able to drop in <laughs> and see what is really going on and provide that expertise to that leader and maybe make a significant impact. I tell the story. I remember when I was in a startup company that eventually went IPO, the investors dropped in a CEO. And I don't, I think he was also on the board at some point, but he came in, he rolled up his sleeves, helped us with Excel and getting things organized back then <laughs> to the point where, you know, we as leaders, I was the quality leader, somebody else was the operations director. We started getting our confidence back to be able to help this company generate the revenue. And then once we got to a stable state, they pulled him out and then dropped in a new leadership team that knew how to take a company public. So an amazing roller coaster. I can sincerely appreciate the work that you do as well. One more question. You are also very passionate in the area of education. I'd love for you to share a little bit about how you got into that work, because I think for everybody, we're all concerned about education, not only for ourselves, but also for the leaders of tomorrow and our children. So tell me a little bit more about that. I was introduced to a uh, school choice uh, organization uh, in around 2012, based in New Jersey through um, a partner at, uh, at Ernst & Young and uh, met the founder and so on. And, and so got involved a bit as the, uh, it was a pretty good size, pretty well-funded group, uh, which I'm still involved with, and uh, more as the financial person to kind of help the back office uh, a little bit better and, and help watch things for the uh, donors and so on in the, in the company. Not that there were problems, but that was through what they saw in it. In, in New Jersey, school education savings accounts, uh, scholarships for private schools, those sorts of areas. In an area, there's been great need in the years from 2012 up to today. Uh, however, uh, the political landscape hasn't been as accepting of it, but I, I've been involved in that and also in some legislative type work, some work on uh, on growing education around different issues. Uh, some people will know 
what their options are in going to schools, uh, tech sort of things over a bunch of years and expanded a, a bit through in, into New York and into Connecticut, doing things like studies of what the effects the legislation would have should the day ever come when the voters of the state felt that that was something that they would be helpful for them, as they have in in, in many states around the country, Florida, you know, Indiana, Ohio, uh, recently, Arkansas, West Virginia, Arizona, mm -hmm. Nevada, and so on. Uh, policies that are sort of working, but um, are just about to come into favor in, in these states. So um, long answer, but uh, yeah, just uh, through an introduction and a cause that I felt was was worthwhile, and, and I feel uh, that it's a lot more worthwhile today. So I do appreciate that work. I, too, having raised children in New Jersey and then eventually in Ohio, having the opportunity to create an educational path unique to each of my children, I sincerely appreciate. My eldest son went to public school, but then he later went to a charter school and an almost Ivy League university. My middle son uh, went to public school, needed to get him into private school just to get him organized and settled and focused. And then he ultimately went back into the public school system in a situation that suited him. And then my daughter had been to private school through and through. So we had choice. And I appreciate the work you're doing to help people recognize and be able to realize the choice when it comes to the future of our <laughs> future of our children. If I could just bring it back to you a little bit, if there was somebody listening out there, because I have come to realize I never know who's listening. And then I get these messages. I had no idea he'd been a listener of the podcast. Thank you so much. If there is somebody out there that is going through some kind of business transformation change or what have you, what are some people that you would reach out to say, contact me, I can help? Well, you, of course, Deb. I mean, <laughs> Absolutely. I'm here. I'm your partner. And I, too, really appreciate what you do because I am seeing C-suite leaders are having challenges. But if there's anybody listening out there, maybe just a little bit about how your services can help their companies. Well, it's um, it depends a, a bit on uh, you know what types of issues they have. I, I would say I'm probably more helpful in, um, in there are some financial issues. There are uh, needs to... Uh, let's say stabilize or deal with outside uh, banks or uh, private equity firms that are putting what might be undue pressure on the company to maybe to make a change. The company may be doing mm. well, uh, but mm. they need somebody kind of from the outside who has you know, some um, credibility with those types of folks to say, hold on boys or girls or whatever the right way to handle it is. Yeah, you know, okay. we do have a plan here. We are doing something. It gives some confidence to someone who's running a very good company to be able to push back uh, against changes they don't want to see. That would be an area that um, you know that, that I come in and, and, and help work at their side and, and do so. Maybe maybe the uh, you know a second area might be um, they're looking at selling and they. They don't want to just hand it over to a broker. Maybe they don't have a lawyer that's really been through it or help helpers of that, or they don't feel comfortable with that. And they want some independent advice. Um, and so the way I tend to work there is to be able to say, you know, let's work on this. I'm going to give you some independent advice uh, for as long or as short as you want. Um, and I, I don't like, and no, nor most people having a long-term contract to get to some promised land. Let's work on a short-term basis and see where it goes to do the best thing you can to get the best value for your company. So take a look. What is it worth? 
you can hire a valuation firm. It can do all those sorts of things. I have a pretty good sense of that, you know, like in a market. And then how could it be worth more? You know, is the cycle right? Uh, what can I do to make it worth more? You know, I'm thinking of this. I'm thinking of that. You know, I need somebody outside to be an advisor, you know, on that. And that's kind of a, that's, you put it on your website and you say you do it. You know, it, it's sort of, why should I pay an advisor? It's someone that kind of has the need, realizes they don't have anybody in their group. And there are some wonderful, many, you know, many firms are very, very good at it and do that. And so it's, you, get, you just have to find the right people within those firms. And, and, I, and I, that's the sort of thing I enjoy doing. And uh, that that's where things can be helpful. So a little bit more company is in a transition. There are some major things happening uh, or could happen. You know, how will Wall Street look at that? You know, how will investors look at that? You know, how will another company look at me in the industry? And then that's down into what industries you really could have an effect on or not. I probably gravitate a little bit more in technology, software types of companies these you know last last few years because of uh, you know some board and other work. But but there are certain areas that I would be good at. Certain areas that probably I'd have to say I'm faking it. <laughs> you know, when I think about when I listen to you, it almost sounds like you know going to war or a sporting event. You're like the CEO's referee because you were talking about these interested parties kind of being at odds at each other or not being able to come to a conclusion but you kind of come in here and just say time out everybody <laughs> let's have a mid, you know a mid game powwow let's have a conversation understand what each wants to achieve and then you say okay I'll go out and let's just do it so very, very grateful for the work you do. I'm grateful that I know you. We're going to bring this to a close, but I wanted to know if there are any last uh, closing thoughts or comments before we close out the interview. Well, Deb, thank you for for doing this. So I would I would just say to all you know all of the listeners that are thinking about uh, you know their businesses and worrying about and so on, don't minimize the value of sticking with it. Work yourself through these up and down changes. Don't lose heart, you know, stay stable and stay with your people. You know, a lot of people uh, are, you know, in these recent days are wondering, you know, am I doing the right job or not? In general, you're there for a good reason. Stick with it, work hard, you know, get those sales, build those clients, deliver those customer products and things work. All right. Well, beautifully said, Steve. And I do appreciate you dropping in on the podcast. Very valuable, very helpful for me so that I can also use your insights and maybe be in service to others. I just want to wish you continued success and be well. And thank you for being a great guest. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you for listening to the Drop-In CEO Podcast. I hope you are inspired by our conversation and can apply what you heard to your business or career goals. If you found this episode valuable, please share this show with at least one friend who would find it useful and inspiring. Your support allows me to keep sharing insights and inspiration to leaders who are working their way to the C-suite. To connect with me or learn more about the Drop-In CEO services, go to my website at dropinceo.com. And until we meet, I wish you well and much success.